0: Well, this morning we're starting a a look at something that we'll be looking at over the course of this month leading up to Christmas, and you can see from the screen behind me we're talking today, and we'll be talking for the next few weeks, about implications of the incarnation, why it matters that Jesus became a man. Now, when you hear the word incarnation, that simply means the fact that Jesus took on flesh. He became incarnate. He, he, He took on flesh and walked among us. And it's useful during the course of the Christmas season as we're thinking about the fact that Jesus, who is God, came to this earth and took on flesh. There are implications for what he did. And today specifically, as we think about the fact that Christ took on flesh, we're going to be talking about the long-term value of humble service that Jesus demonstrated to us during the course of His earthly ministry, and it gets explained in detail why it's important when you look at Philippians chapter 2. So if you would, take your Bibles and open with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2. And again, in that portion of Scripture, and it's, it's certainly worth, if you have the opportunity at some point, to, to read the whole chapter. Our time, we're just going to focus on verses 5 through 11, but you could see in that chapter, the perfect demonstration of humility, as Christ demonstrated that to us. And he shows us what that actually looks like and the significance of what he did on our behalf. It gets explained in great detail right there in Philippians chapter 2. So let me read this for us. Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, it tells us this. "'Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at this portion of your word together this morning, and as we begin a several-week look at some of the implications of the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ We pray, Lord, that we would understand those implications. We pray that we would understand how to apply those truths to our day-to-day lives. We pray that we would grow in our relationship with you and willingly submit our lives over to you as we think about these things. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that you have done what you have done on our behalf. We know that we are undeserving recipients of your grace And we pray that we would be reminded of the truth of your goodness and your compassion as we look at a portion of Scripture like we're looking at together today. So we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to understand your truth in its entirety, and that we would walk with you faithfully in all regards. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So as we grow older, I think it's probably wise and logical to treat our bodies with more intentional care than we probably did at earlier seasons of life. Would you agree with that statement? You know, the older you get, the, the, the more intentional and the more careful we probably ought to be with how we treat our bodies. I think the older we get, the more sensitive we grow to temperature changes. How many of us were deceived when you looked outside this morning and you saw the sun out and you thought, oh, it'll be warm? It's not warm, you know? It's not warm, right? We get more sensitive to, to temperature changes, we grow, we grow more cautious about unsafe walking or driving conditions, right? We notice things like that. I I, I think any activity that, that can cause us physical harm, we become a bit more cautious related to it. And I don't blame anyone who makes wise choices that result in the care of their physical body. I think that that actually is a very logical thing to do, a very wise thing to do. And at the same time, I also admire people who aren't afraid to take certain calculated risks that even though it might It might involve their own physical discomfort. It may have the potential to serve others for their greater good. And I want to give you a very specific example of that that I was thinking about this week. So many of you know that for me, when I was growing up, one of the most important places in the world to me was the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference. Now, that's a ministry that our church supports. Many of our young people participate in their summer camping ministry. We've also had people from the church here that work on their their staff. And uh, if you know anything about my personal testimony and my walk with the Lord, it was through that camping ministry that I was introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I came to know Jesus in the midst of that. And it was also while I was working on the staff at that ministry during the course of the summer As a teenager, that I became serious about my walk with Christ. So I met Jesus there, and then I was discipled there. It was a very important ministry to me. And if you've been on the property, you realize that the property is not abnormally large for a ministry of its kind. Some camps are just absolutely huge. It seems like they take up half a state. Well, PMBC isn't like that. Most of the years of my life growing up is only eight acres. Uh, now it's 16 acres, but for most of the time it was just eight acres. So it's not abnormally large, but when you're on the property, you realize there are plenty of buildings on the property in those eight, eight acres, now 16 acres, and those buildings require care. They, were, they require constant care and attention no matter what season of the year it happens to be. So, in addition to the staff that serves with the, the summer camping program, and the year-round retreats, one of the other things that the camp has as a facet of how it's run is it has a, a board of volunteers, and people rotate in that board and then rotate out of that board. They help oversee the ministry. They help with other details as well. And each year, that board elects a president to chair the meetings and provide other forms of accountability, other forms of oversight. And when I was in high school, they elected a man. His name was Bernard Murphy, Uh, They elected him to serve as the president of that board, and I'll just tell you right now, he was somebody who took that role very seriously. In fact, he served as president on that board multiple years. It could have been at least a decade, but he took the job very seriously. He also wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, and I remember noticing that when I would observe him. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, wasn't afraid to risk his safety while he was working on the property, even though at the time he was doing this, he was an older gentleman that was already past the age of traditional retirement, and I can remember multiple examples of different acts of service and things like that that he carried out on the property, but one will forever be burned in my mind. I often think about it, especially as the weather gets, gets colder, because during one particular winter, the camp received an abnormal, Amount of snow. It was the kind of snow that you were, well, a blizzard, first of all, it blanketed the area. So it was the kind of snow that you would measure in feet, not inches. Many feet of snow. And I don't know in the deepest spot up there, it was probably four to five feet deep in some of the spots up there because of drifting. And um, in the midst of that, two of the buildings on the property actually collapsed. Now they weren't major buildings, one was a picnic pavilion and the other one was a trailer that would typically be used for people that were volunteering with maintenance needs and things like that, but both of them collapsed under the weight of the snow. It was just too much weight for them, and uh, they didn't survive, and there were concerns that the weight of the snow was going to damage some of the more critical buildings as well, particularly the dining hall that doesn't have the most pitched roof. The roof is, you know, it's, it's not very steep, and so some of that snow was really piling up there, and this concerned Pastor Murphy and so he devised a plan. And tell me if you think you would do this. Some of you I already know would, and you don't even know what I'm going to say yet, but I just know that you would. With the help of a few other men, he climbed onto the roof of the dining hall. This older gentleman, he climbs onto the roof of the dining hall. So he's up there on the roof and, that, and he had a very strong personality. He's with the Lord now, but he was one of those people that most people didn't argue with him. Like, you just didn't argue with him. If he had an idea in his head, you just put up with it, whatever it was. You really didn't argue with him because you weren't going to win the argument. And so he said to them, get me up on the roof. So they got him up on the roof, and then his plan was to have them hoist a snowblower up onto that roof with him. And they're like, Pastor Murphy, this really isn't a good idea. I don't, I, it's not really even safe for you to be up there, but I don't think that we should be hoisting a snowblower. And he's like, you got another plan? Not yet, but our first plan is to make sure you don't die today. And he, he's like, this is the plan. Get a snowblower up here. So somehow, I don't know if they wrapped a rope around a chimney. I'm trying to figure out exactly how, it, how they actually got it up there. But they got that snowblower up there. They hoisted it up there. So just picture this older gentleman on this roof, and he's got the snowblower, and he's just making passes, going back and forth on the different levels of the roof, snowblowing the roof. And he's nearly 70 years old at, at this point. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, all right, that was not a glorious task, right? That wasn't a glorious task. Multiple people tried to talk him out of it. He wouldn't listen. But he was want- he, his desire was to serve in that manner, even though it had risk to his body and risk to his well-being. Now, you could argue whether or not that was the wisest idea. You would be right if you said, that's really not the wisest idea. That is correct, but he still did it. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, okay, that was someone who wasn't afraid to risk his you know, harm to himself to serve a greater good, and he certainly wasn't afraid to risk getting his hands dirty. And I think of examples like that that the Lord's allowed me to see over the course of my life when I read a portion of Scripture like we just read from Philippians chapter 2. Because when you're reading verses 5 to 11, it demonstrates this on a deeper level. And when you, when you look at this, it, this passage, it gives us great details about the humble, sacrificial service of Jesus, and it encourages us directly to approach life with that same mindset, the mindset that Jesus demonstrated, a mindset of, of his willingness to serve others even when doing so, might seem like it's beneath your sense of dignity, or if it seems like it might be beneath your sense of authority. You might think, oh, I've risen to a certain rank in life, and I don't need to do this anymore. This is the task I did when I was younger. This is somebody else's task now. And I look at that, and I think of examples like like Pastor Murphy, who was willing to get up on the roof with the snowblower and risk himself so that nobody else had to do it. But on a deeper level, I think of Christ, and I look at what Christ has done, and his authority, and his dignity, and yet his desire to serve us in the midst of this. And so the passage begins in a very interesting way, and I'm going to bring the the key verses that we're looking at up on the screen behind me as I speak through them, but the passage begins by encouraging us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that's how, how the section we're looking at starts off. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think we'd all probably agree that the way we think impacts the way we live. I know for me, the way I think certainly impacts the way I live. I believe that's actually true for everybody. The way we think impacts the way we live. The way we think impacts the way we treat others. And thankfully, we who know Jesus Christ by faith have been graced with a new way of thinking that resembles the way he thinks. It's a new way of thinking. It's a transformed perspective. It's, a, it's a, an understanding that the Lord allows us to have as we walk by faith in Him. And the actions we take and the words that proceed from our mouths reveal a lot about what's actually going on in our minds. I've noticed, and maybe you have too, and you, you probably have seen this over the course of your life, but I, uh, there's a few things that have kind of brought this to my attention, my attention uh, recently, but I've, I've noticed that, that many people in this world spend most of their conversations complaining about something. Have you ever noticed that? And do you ever find yourself saying, oh, not again, right? I mean, there are people in my life, and I kind of chart it in my mind. I think it's like, okay, politics is always bad, right? Politics is always bad. Weather it's always bad, All right, So you're po- like, politics is always bad. Weather is always bad. The people they work with, also bad, Right? Like, okay, anything else? Yes, while I'm at it, roads, also bad. It's like, you know, I live in Pennsylvania. I get that part, right? You're allowed to say that one. Road's kind of bad sometimes. But sometimes when I listen to that, and I think, like, do you ever say anything that's not a complaint about something? Do you ever wonder that? Now, hopefully some of you aren't like, oh, this is very convicting. I only talk, I only complain. But like, when I listen to people that only complain, I think, all right, that's exhausting. And not only is it exhausting, I actually find it, I think a better word in my mind anyway for how I describe it, uninspiring. I find it uninspiring. It's the type of conversation that I try and limit how much I'm around it. So I'm like, that is very uninspiring. That's the type of conversation that tries to drag you down with it. And I'm grateful that Christ has given us new minds that can see beyond the temporary inconveniences of this world because we're looking forward to the world to come. It's a new mind, it's a new perspective, it's a new way of thinking. And so that's useful to think about, but then when you look at this portion of Scripture, the primary application that this Scripture is talking about in regard to this new mind, or to to thinking like Jesus thinks, this passage is trying to exemplify that if you're thinking like Jesus thinks, you're going to demonstrate a willingness to put others before yourself. That's the application of the new mind that this portion of Scripture brings up. You're going to put others before yourself. If you start thinking the way Jesus thinks, you're going to put others before yourself. You're going to be willing to humble yourself and serve instead of puffing yourself up and expecting to be served or praised. It's kind of weird if you really want to dig into the motivations of our hearts, how much of our lives we expect to be served and praised. And sometimes when I think about that, when I think, you know, when I'm complaining, if I'm complaining, is it because deep down I was really hoping to be served or praised? And isn't that in a way robbing Christ of the worship he deserves? I'm not really supposed to be served and praised to this degree that sometimes I think I'm supposed to be served and praised. Christ is to be served and praised. And I think sometimes people go through life disappointed because they were expecting to be served and praised. They didn't get served and praised, and what happens? They start complaining. And you look at what Christ came to this earth and did. He said, you know, I'm going to serve you. He deserved the praise. He deserved to be served. And yet, what did he do? He willingly served us, and he invites us to demonstrate that mindset. Because if anyone deserved to be served or praised, Jesus certainly did. And when you look at verse 6, that next verse in this chapter, it says, who, so it's speaking of Jesus, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This passage, what it's doing is it's trying to help us grasp the fact that that by nature, Jesus is divine. Before coming to this earth, before being born as a man, Jesus existed for all eternity with the fullness of all attributes of deity. So Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omnipresent. Scripture elsewhere calls him the creator and sustainer of the universe. In fact, let me bring it up here for us so that we could look at it together. In Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He is spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus created and upholds the universe. All things created through him, Scripture tells us revealing to us his divine nature. And yet when you come back to Philippians chapter 2, here it tells us that Jesus didn't selfishly hold on to the privileges of his equality with God the Father. That's what it means when it says he didn't grasp his equality with God. You know, think about it. sometimes when we talk when we use the word grasp, we're talking about this idea of like what we think mentally. And sometimes when we use the word grasp we think about what we hold on to physically. And so the image here that we're given probably has a little bit of both kind of mixed in. But basically, what Jesus was doing was he wasn't selfishly holding on in an uncaring way or in a manner that lacked compassion his attributes of deity or his, uh, his, um, uh, the benefits that he has as being God. On the contrary, the Scripture tells us when you look at Philippians 2, 7, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So what the Scripture is revealing to us is that the very God who made and upholds creation, he took the form of a servant, and he was born a man so that he could serve all humanity in a unique and sacrificial way. That's what he was willing to do. So if you had that kind of status, is that something that you would set aside in order to serve somebody else? It's hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? And yet that's what the scripture is saying that Jesus didn't selfishly or in a self-centered kind of way grasp or hold on to in a selfish way all the benefits he experiences as being divine. But here it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant, it was born in the likeness of men. God taking on human flesh. Um, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I, I make an exception for that during football season, okay? So during football season, and I'm talking about the real football, okay? You soccer fans, just stop, all right? All right, you're in Pennsylvania, you know, you had your World Cup, it's all done now, okay? Um, we're back to real football. And uh, I hope I didn't alienate half the church. I hope I alienated the whole thing, right? Just kidding. Um, Tom Kinchel and I, before worship on Sunday mornings, were always, like, talking football real quick out in the sanctuary, out in the entryway. And uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, (laughs) during a lot of Sunday afternoons, at least, and Thursday nights, and sometimes Mondays, watching (laughs) football during this time of the year. And... During most of the nationally televised high-profile games, or so the ones particularly in the evenings or the ones that are on holidays like Thanksgiving, things like that, most of the broadcast networks have a curious habit, and you have probably noticed this too. They scan the crowd for celebrities. They're always scanning the crowd for celebrities, so they'll look up in those box seats and they'll be like, hey, look, it's Jay-Z. you are like, great, good for him. Jay-Z, you got a good seat. You got a lot of money. I'm proud of you, right? hey, look, it's this actress, it's this actor, it's this politician. And in my mind, I'm like, don't care, don't care, show the field, right? And uh, I was watching football, this is just a few days ago, and that happened during that game as well. And this was before the game had actually started. They showed something that actually impressed me more than a celebrity or politician ever could. What they did was they started panning the field during the pregame warm-ups, and they were just showing different players working out there and getting things ready and practicing for the game. And they also showed a young boy who was right on the sidelines, and, um, and he was cheering on one of his favorite players, and that, that player was, was working out in the field, and so the boy was just like trying to encourage the player and cheer him on, and that player paused his workout. And I was like, oh, what's he going to do? He paused his workout, and then he walks over to that wall, and he goes like this. He puts both hands up, and the kid was probably about eight years old. He's like, He goes like this. And the parents were like, okay, well, we're just meeting you, but let's lower our child to you and see what you do with them. And they literally lower the child over the wall. And I'm like, that's good parenting right there. Raise that kid right, right? Just give them to someone you've never met before, see what happens. And, uh, and so they lower them down to the player, and the player, you know, takes them and he brings them out onto the field and gets a football and just starts tossing the football back and forth with them for a little bit. And then when he was done, then other people helped the boy get back up to his parents and and all that, and they shared that moment. And I looked at that, and I thought, that was so cool to see, right? He's hearing this little boy, you know, yell out to him, cheering him on, and he decides to give him an an experience he's never going to forget. Also, it got nationally televised. It was so cool. And obviously, that action doesn't fully compare with the depths of Christ's willingness to humble himself, and serve us. But when I see things like that, it certainly reminds me of the attitude of humble service that we're called to adopt in response to the actions Jesus took on our behalf. It was a beautiful thing to see. I love seeing things like that. And we know when reading God's Word, we see this all throughout the Word of God, that Jesus was willing to go to the greatest length to serve us and to provide for us the way for us to experience permanent, union with Him, in a permanent place in His eternal kingdom. And when you look at that, when you think about what Scripture says, it's kind of useful to kind of wrestle with the thought of, of, well, all right, well, how far was Jesus willing to go to bring that benefit to my life? How far was He willing to go to do that for us? Well, Scripture tells us when you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, that being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, reminds us of. So the first generation of believers who would have read this passage and and looked at at what the Apostle Paul was conveying here, as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to say, they, they certainly would have understood why Paul phrased it this way, the phrase, even death on the cross. You notice that it's said that way? Even death on a cross. Not just death on a cross, but even death on the cross. You see, it's trying to make some emphasis there because this was the most humiliating and shameful and painful form of death that had been devised by the human mind. And yet Jesus was willing to demonstrate that level of humility and that level of obedience to the perfect will of the Father, and he endured it all as an act of service For the benefit of those, he will unite to himself. That's what he endured so that we could be united with him for all eternity. So we trust in him. We receive that benefit. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's a cross before a crown? Do you ever hear that phrase? Maybe you haven't. I don't know if you have or haven't. I've heard that phrase a variety of times during the course of my life. And there's even some songs. There's a great song it was written by Bill Maloney years ago, where he references that the fact that there's a cross before a crown, and I think that phrase is often used like colloquially, colloquially um, to describe the hard things that we endure before receiving the positive outcomes that we seek. So we'll say it, you know, just in a general sense. Hey, there's a cross before a crown, brother. There's a cross before a crown, sister. Right? Hard things first. And then you receive the benefits later. But obviously, it's a phrase that was inspired by the earthly pain that Jesus was willing to experience. And he did that in view of what was in store. He was willing to experience the shame and the pain and the ridicule and all that went with enduring death on a cross, even death on a cross, as Paul phrases it, because he had in view... What was coming next? Well, what was coming next? Well, again, even here in Philippians 2, it it shows us this. It tells us what was coming next. It says, therefore, God has, when you look at verses 9 through 11, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a cross before a crown. There's a cross before a crown. And so you see, obviously, the ways in which the Father interacted with the Son. You see the different things that Jesus receives and and Jesus will experience. But when you look at what Scripture tells us, Scripture is also very clear that the joy that was set before Jesus involved this, and it involved the fact that you and I would have the opportunity to live as part of his kingdom forever. That he looked at you, and he looked at me with compassion, and he said, if I do this, and there's no plan B, there's no other option that will work for the redemption of humanity. There's no other way that man's sin could be paid for, because one who is guilty of no sin, one who is innocent, completely innocent, must pay. But who's complete, who, who among us is completely innocent? The only one that could fulfill the, that requirement was God himself. So what does God do? God the Son, Jesus Christ, takes on flesh and endures death, even death on a cross. There's a cross before a crown. And ultimately, Christ is raised up. Scripture says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And again, it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And it's, it's like, okay, well, where? Well, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ was born a man. Jesus became a servant. Jesus was murdered on a cross, but now he's highly exalted. His name is above every name. All knees will bow before his authority. Every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Scripture tells us that God the Father will be glorified in the response. This is an amazing process that we're witnessing taking place. And it carries with it some eternal implications for every single person that's ever lived. We will all eventually, you know, notice where it says that everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth, right? It's referencing everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth, saying every person that's ever lived we will all eventually bow the knee in respect to Jesus Christ and in respect to his authority. Every single one of us. Now, some will do that. Some will bow the knee doing that dreading the fact that they rejected the opportunity to do that during the course of their earthly life. That's how some will bow the knee to Christ. They will do that re- uh, regretting the fact that they've rejected the opportunity that Christ gave them during the course of their earthly life to do that. But we, those who are in the hearing of God's word today, we have the privilege of worshiping Jesus and acknowledging him as our sovereign Lord now. Everyone's going to bow the knee and every tongue is going to confess, but we can do that now. Jesus, our Savior, who was willing to humble himself in order to lift us up, he deserves our loyalty. He deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. There really isn't a good reason to wait another minute to offer it. And I think if we're truly thankful for what Jesus did on our behalf, and if we're likewise thankful to know that, that he is our God, I think we can demonstrate our thankfulness to him by honoring his role as Lord in multiple ways. So I think a lot of times we use this phrase, we speak of Jesus as being our Savior, we speak of Jesus as being our Lord, but do we really think about the implications of what it means to actually honor him as Lord right now? What, is it, what does it look like to say, all right, you are sovereign, you are God of my life, you are in control of all things that matter to me. My allegiance is completely to you. I submit my intentions, I submit everything about me over to your direction. That's, in, that's something that's easier said than done, is it Not? And isn't that also a process that we go through as believers in Christ, where we learn to submit more of ourselves over to him over time? I know for me, there are certain things that I could look at and I say, you know, for a long time, I tried to hold that part back. You know, certain things I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, I'll submit that over to Jesus as Lord. But if I'm holding something back, am I really understanding what it means to submit myself over to him as Lord? It means I'm not fully understanding it yet. There shouldn't be any exception. There shouldn't be any little piece that I'm holding back for myself. It should all be submitted over to Him. So I think we can honor Jesus as our Lord by submitting our hopes and our dreams over to Him. Do you ever think about it through that category? Submitting your hopes and submitting your dreams over to the Lordship of Christ. I think each of us has a vision for our future that either aligns with Christ's desires or conflicts with Christ's desires. And if our hopes and our dreams are entirely focused on gaining the best things of this world and gaining glory for ourselves, that's a mistake. That's a mistaken perspective, and many people hold on to that. But if Christ is, is Lord of our hopes, His desires will shape our dreams. And I think we can honor Jesus as Lord by submitting our hopes and our dreams over to Him. But let's go further than that. Let's take it another step. I think we can honor Jesus as our Lord by submitting our thought life over to him completely. Our minds can go in all kinds of directions, and the diet that we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. You can usually tell what kind of diet somebody feeds their mind by what comes out in their life. If we feed our minds with the lusts of the flesh and the boastfulness of of what we have or what we do, I think our lives are going to reflect that, and it's not going to be pretty. But if our minds are submitted completely over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I think we'll see all things of this world with a redeemed perspective because Jesus gives us his eyes. We start to see ourselves, we see our life, we see other people, we see our circumstances through his perspective. And we can honor him by submitting our thought life over to his lordship. Let's take it another step. I think we can honor Jesus by submitting our homes over to his lordship. I think honoring him in this manner, when you submit your home over to his, lord, his lordship, I think, I think honoring him that way will transform the way you treat your spouse and treat your children. I don't see how it can't. If you submit your home over to the Lord, I don't see how it can't impact how you respond to your spouse and how you treat your children. I know just from a personal standpoint, my ultimate goal is to interact with my wife and to interact with my children in such a way that I accurately give them a glimpse of the work that Jesus is doing inside of me. I want them to see a glimpse of Jesus through what they're observing him do in my life. I want them to understand his power and the transformation that he's accomplishing and the blessings that he's bestowing, and I want to give him the credit for the things that he's doing, and I want them to see that, and I think they'll see that as I honor him by treating them in a way that he would be honored and in a way that that would reflect the way he would treat them. And I think this also, and it's kind of interesting, especially when you think about what Philippians chapter 2 says here, I think it also provides an opportunity for us to practice humble service like you see Jesus demonstrating during the course of his earthly ministry. Scripture goes to great lengths to demonstrate to us that he humbly served. And if the Lord has placed you in a position of influence or leadership in a household, that's a great way to represent Christ in your household with an attitude not of, it's all about me and me getting my way. It's the idea of humbly serving others in reference to what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Again, easier said than done. But how wonderful would it be if we submit our homes and the way we operate in our homes? if we submit that to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All right, let's go another step. Let's take another step on this, on this staircase. I think we can honor Jesus as Lord of our blessings. We can submit our blessings over to him. I think we're all blessed with a certain amount of time and a certain amount of talents, a certain amount of treasure, right? That's the three T's that people often talk about as the main categories of blessing, time and talent and treasure. I think we could look at these blessings as, you look at it one of two ways. You can look at them as something to selfishly hold on to, or we can treat these blessings the way Jesus treated the benefits of His divine nature. The Scripture tells us that He didn't grasp the benefits of His divinity in a selfish way. He didn't hold on to them in a selfish way. He used what He had to the benefit of others, to benefit us specifically, and to bring glory to God the Father. And if Jesus is Lord of our blessings, if we look at our blessings and say, all right, I don't want to worship the blessing. I want to worship the one who gives the blessing. So if Jesus is Lord of our blessings, I think we will treat our time, and I think we will treat our talents, and I think we will treat our treasures the way he treated us, meaning we're not going to selfishly hold on to these things. We're going to say, all right, Lord, you're Lord. I call you Lord. Show me what to do with these blessings. One more thing that I think is useful to notice that takes us even one step further. I think we can honor Jesus as Lord of our actions and ambitions. Our lives are moving in a very specific direction. Your life is moving in a direction. My life is moving in a direction. I think our ambitions and our actions function hand in hand. My ambitions and the actions of my hands, they, they go right along with each other. And I think if Jesus is Lord of both, if he's Lord of my actions and Lord of my ambitions, I think if he's Lord of both of those things for all of us, I think our lives will move in the direction of honoring his name and demonstrating that we prioritize his will above our own. Not an easy thing to do. Certainly not something that we, you know, on day one of your Christian walk would fully grasp. I think that's something the Lord helps us develop an appreciation of and for the longer we walk with him. You know, it's like, Lord, what does it look like for me to to move in the direction of honoring your name? What does it look like for me to keep moving in the direction of prioritizing your will above my own? That's a challenge, but I think we can honor Jesus as Lord of our actions and ambitions. Let me say this as we just kind of wrap up this thought this morning. It's a blessing that Jesus took on flesh in his incarnation. That is a huge blessing. He came to this earth to humbly serve us, even though we weren't seeking him out, and even though we treated him with hostility as he did so. It's like a fascinating thought. You know, he came to earth to humbly serve us, and what did we do? Humanity treated him with hostility. Hostility. But for for those of us who know him, for those of us who call him Lord, for those of us who worship him and appreciate what he came to this earth to do, now that our eyes have been opened to the truth of who he is and what he was ultimately seeking to accomplish, we really do have the opportunity to serve him as Lord. When you think about the long-term value of humble service that Jesus accomplished, what it's done is is his actions have resulted in us being brought into his eternal kingdom. His actions have taken us from death to life. And his actions have taken us from people who were showing him hostility to now a group of people who love him, appreciate him, and are willing to worship him as Lord. There are implications for his incarnation. There are implications for the fact that he came to this earth and took on flesh. And this is certainly one of them and something that I hope that we find great benefit in just meditating on together this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and for what you do in the lives of, of those who call you Lord and mean it. Lord, there are many people in this world who speak of your Lordship and yet, yet they, they, just, they treat that like it's an external title and not something that connects to an internal motivation. But as we call you, Lord, we pray that each time we use that phrase, we would be saying, I submit my life over to you. You're in charge. I submit myself over to you. I submit my ambitions. I submit my actions. I submit my family, my household, my time, my talent, my treasure, every blessing. I submit it over to you, Lord. I submit my thought life over to you. I submit my hopes. I submit my dreams, whatever it may be. We pray that we would submit it over to you, knowing that it's safest in your hands, and knowing that you'll steer us in the direction that ultimately is for your glory and for our good. Father, we recognize that in this world there are many who, as of yet, have not received your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray... That during this season, as there's a little bit of an added emphasis on the work that your son came to this earth to accomplish, that that would be a truth that permeates minds and hearts and that many would come to know you, that we as your followers would be vocal about our praise and that we would be willing to share the transformation that you've accomplished in our lives. And that the message of your gospel would go forth as we live it out and speak it directly. And Lord, we know that during the course of even this coming week, each of us is going to have the opportunity to interact with people who as of yet do not know you. So Lord, we pray that you would use those connections and use those relationships and use those conversations. And even though the the demonstration of our lives being submitted over to your will and to your plan, We pray that that would be the type of thing that you use to to make an impact on those who as of yet have not bowed the knee and acknowledged your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Thank you for the privilege to do so now while we're on the earth, so that ultimately we could be in your presence for all eternity. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these blessings, and we thank you for this reminder as we look at your word together today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.